Hi, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Now all morning I'm going to have this image of Gene Miller sleeping in bathtubs. And, 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 and actually, that's our conversation. It's so it's so matter of fact. Well, I used to sleep in bathtubs in college. I mean, you, you did too. And I'm like, well, I, I missed out on that part of the college experience. I've crashed on floors. I've crashed on sofas. I have fell asleep in chairs. Um, perhaps a couple other places that I don't want to necessarily admit to on the radio. But no, I, I, I miss that part of the college experience or the young adult experience or the older adult experience. No, I don't think I've slept in a bathtub. Um, maybe slept on the floor of a bathroom from time to time, but never, never in the bathtub. Ah, Gene Miller's got that one up on me. We are actually going to have a very fun show today. During the, at the, at 11.05, we're going to be announcing the details of our big summer promotion. And, um, I have to tell you, this is really, really cool. Our, our folks in marketing have outdone themselves, and I think you're going to be really excited when you hear about it. And it's a great way that we're going to be getting out in the community and giving you a chance to win something really, really cool. So that's going to be at 11.05. Our weekend review is at 11.35. Sometime during the 9 o'clock hour, we will be giving away our final pair of tickets to see Roger Waters of Pink Floyd fame. He's at the BMO Harris Bradley Center on July 29th. And um, special thanks to the promoters and, again, our marketing folks for making arrangements so we could give away so many sets of tickets. Uh, your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters will come up sometime between 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and 10 o'clock. We will give them away during the 9 o'clock hour of the program. In addition... A lot of response to our podcast page. When I started this time slot, that was one of the big questions. You know, can you, can you, we want a podcast. We want to listen to the thing. And, uh, yes, we now have our podcast page available. You can go to WTMJ.com, download the mobile app, and be notified or have them automatically um, entered onto your device. In addition, we also podcast Sports Central and a number of other podcasts from people whose voices you don't hear on the radio. So be sure to uh, check out the podcast page as well. We start out... Every program with a section I call three big things, three interesting things that I think you should know about or at least that are discussable, things to talk about at work or things to talk about at the gym or things to talk about at lunch, three big things. Big thing number one, let's get right to it. The controversy involving Attorney General Jeff Sessions continues. Jeff Sessions is formerly the U.S. Attorney from Alabama. I actually met him once. Back in the day, when I was working in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and he was the U.S. Attorney for one of the two districts in Alabama, um, he went on to be a long-serving senator in the U.S. Senate. He was controversial because in the 80s, he was nominated for a federal judgeship, and the uh, nomination got shot down amid allegations that he had engaged in allegedly racist activities by some of the tar- by some of the targeting he did in the US attorney's office i always found that to be meritless jeff sessions in my opinion was borked before you know robert bork ever came in he was just set up for again the political long knives and they ended up taking him out he is now the attorney general of the united states the controversy is let's back into this there was and i think it's almost impossible to argue that there was Russian involvement in this last election. You had the Russians who hacked into various records. They hacked into the DMC, DNC computers, and they released things. So, I mean, I think the Russians were clearly meddling in our election. The question that has been out there has been, was there any collusion between the Trump campaign and the, the Russians? And so far, there is absolutely no evidence to suggest that. Now, Donald Trump, 
and a lot of the people close to him and a lot of his advisors are international business people. So it is not unusual that over the years to find that they would have had contact with Russians or, and and apparently the the way the government kind of looks at it is lots of Russians are considered to be spies. Russian businessmen are sort of also considered to be spies, I guess, if they provide information to the Russian government or whatever. So Trump and people associated with Trump over the years have had contacts in connection with their business dealings with with Russians. So anyhow, Jeff Sessions is a U.S. senator during the campaign. He represents Alabama. He's on the Armed Forces Service Committee. He, during his confirmation hearings, is asked by Al Franken, who is a Democrat from Minnesota, in the context of contacts with the Trump administration or surrogates with Russians during the campaign. They are discussing whether or not they're they're fishing for any information about whether or not people associated with the Trump campaign could have been involved with the Russians in connection with the hacking. That's what the context is. And Al Franken asks the question, um, what would you, if you were the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, what would you do if there was any evidence that anyone affiliated with the Trump campaign communicated with the Russian government in the course of this campaign? And again, they're, they're talking about political activities. And what Jeff Sessions says is, I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in the campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians. Now, again, this is in the context of you know, they're looking for, is there political contact or things like that? It now comes out that over, I, I guess, the, the past year, on two occasions, in his capacity as a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Jeff Sessions did meet with the Russian ambassador. Once was a group meeting after the Republican convention with a number of other ambassadors and a number of other senators. The other time was a call made by the Russian ambassador on sessions that he apparently occurred in his office, and there were a number of aides that were present during this meeting. He says there's nothing political about these. He said, I wasn't even thinking about these because I, I meet with ambassadors all the time. This was in the context, this was not in the context of the political campaign, but yes, as the armed services, as on the, on the armed services committee, I meet with all sorts of people. All right, so now the allegations are this is perjury. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is demanding that he resign, that he step down, demanding that there's an investigation determining whether or not he should be charged with lying under oath. Al Franken says at the very best um, he was misleading in his remarks. This is a huge scandal. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can call us, participate, and you can also send us texts. What do you think? Is is the Attorney General of the United States guilty of perjury, or is this a tempest in a teapot, much ado about nothing? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Three big things. Big thing number one, the controversy over Jeff Sessions continues. Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, screaming he needs to be charged with perjury. He needs to resign. All right. Bill in Milwaukee. Bill, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? And quite frankly, it's, it's the Democrats are, are virtually on a, on a witch hunt to try and 
prove something that really didn't occur. They weren't present for the conversation that took place between Sessions and the Russian ambassador. Right. And as a senator, he has to indulge these ambassadors in conversation, and it was all according to protocol. If the Democrats spent as much time working on straightening out the issues within our country and, and allowing our country to go forward, and they put that effort forth, my goodness, we'd be so far ahead it's not even funny. Well, what do you think about the argument, though, that, that, that he lied, that he, he had these meetings, and even if they were benign, he lied when he testified in front of Congress when he said he didn't have any contact with the Russians? You know, lying is a strong word. Yeah. If, if I had to recall every meeting I had with different clients, my goodness, I yeah. couldn't tell you every conversation that took on. And obviously, whatever the conversation was, it had no bearing on the election. Yeah. It had no bearing on, on right. say, no. the Russians trying to influence the elections. I mean, my goodness. No, see, I'm, I'm with you, Bill. Thank Thanks for call, Bill. I, I'm, see, you, you have to look at, at the context of this. Now, there were two conversations. For, first of all, let, let me just say this. If there is evidence that shows up that Jeff Sessions, when he was a U.S. senator, and, and arguably he was one of, I don't know what it means when you say you're a surrogate for the Trump campaign, but he was an early supporter of Donald Trump. And if it turns out that there was some degree of collusion between Jeff Sessions and members of the Russian government, to help undermine the election. Yes, that would be a basis for him to not only resign, but maybe a basis for him to be charged criminally. But there's not even, there is no suggestion of that. See, that's, that is what's so frustrating about this. He is testifying and they are asking him questions in that context. You know, did you have any conversation? How would you as attorney general react? If it turned out that somebody who was affiliated with the Trump campaign was having political conversations with the Russians, that's that is what they were getting at. And, you know, he answered accordingly. I don't think it ever occurred to him that they were asking him in your years in the U.S. Senate or over the last couple of years, have you in any sort of official capacity had any contact with members of the Russian government? So I, I don't I mean, I believe that the guy was focusing on that context. This is not perjury. Perjury requires you to prove that somebody is intentionally lying. And and I agree with Bill that that is a very, very strong word. It, it can't be any sort of misunderstanding. There can't be vagueness. Perjury is very difficult to prove. It is very difficult to prosecute because it means you have to prove that somebody intentionally lied. Number two, I mean, the, the contacts here are so de minimis. One is Republican National Convention. Sessions gives a speech. He's with a number of other Republican senators. There are tens of other amba- tens of ambassadors who are there. It is a group speech, and he interacts with some afterwards in a brief fashion. The Russian ambassador has to be there. Okay, happens to be there. Okay, really, is that really campaign-related stuff with the Russians? I think not. The other meeting was in his office, attended by a number of his staff members, and it was a call that the Russian ambassador pay- paid on him as in the context of a senior member of the Armed Services Committee. Apparently the day before the Ukrainian ambassador had been in, and keep in mind there's a lot of controversy going on between um, a lot of controversy going on between the Ukraine and Russia and those type of things. So perjury, absolutely not. 
is it a, is he doing the right thing when he says he's going to recuse himself from investigation? That means if there is an investigation, he's not going to be involved in it. Yeah, I think that's probably the right thing. But I would have said that regardless of whether or not this came up because he was involved in the Trump campaign. So, all right, let somebody else you know supervise that type of investigation. But perjury, resignation, give me a break. Charlotte in Northern Illinois. Charlotte, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff Sessions' mistake was that he should have said he and the Russian were discussing their grandchildren. A la Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton on the tarmac, right? (laughs) How much did she resign or recuse herself at that point as Attorney General Loretta Lynch? Yeah. Yeah, you you don't seriously believe Sessions committed perjury, do you? No, 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 me neither. Yeah, not at all. You know, but it's one one after another. They are coming for uh, the Trump people. First, it was General Flynn. Uh, I think the Republicans ought to uh, protect their own. That's well, my comment. No, th- and I, I think that you, I do think that you're going going to see that again. I, I think he did the right thing by recusing himself. But again, I would have said that regardless, because he was actively involved in the Trump campaign, whatever, again, whatever the phrase surrogate means. Elaine in Sockville writes on our text line, definitely a tempest in a teapot. Um, Nancy Pelosi needs to get a life. Look how she convinced us to drink the Kool-Aid. Um, the U.S. Attorney General didn't do anything illegal. She knows it, and I think everybody else knows it. Now, could he have been, I guess, more precise in responding to questions could his answer have been a little more tailored? Well, all right, yes, I think that's probably correct. If he would have said, I've never had any political discussions with members of the Russian government, okay, I understand. But if you're asking him stuff in a political context and he answers essentially no no contacts with that regard, I understand how that ends up happening. A basis for having to step down? I think not. Big thing number two coming up next. David Clark back in the news. It's 8.56, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. Quick reminder, we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to see Roger Waters during the 9 o'clock hour. 11.05, a big announcement concerning our major summer promotion this year. And it is, I got to tell you, it is extremely, extremely cool. David Clark's book is out, and it's... um. It's actually rocketing up the bestseller list. I think last time I checked, it was number 15 or so on the Amazon bestseller list. It just came out on uh, February 28th, so earlier this week. Cop Under Fire, Moving Beyond Hashtags of Race, Crime, and Politics for a Better America. Uh, I have not read it yet, but I am I am intending to read it over the course of the next couple days. I was actually exchanging emails with the sheriff last night about something completely unrelated. He... Um, he was in the Madison newspapers. Uh, he's in the Madison newspapers today. There is an open. There is going to be a highly contested Senate election in 2018. Tammy Baldwin, arguably one of the two or three most liberal members of the U.S. Senate, will be up for re-election. Baldwin won um, in 2012. She ran. That was during uh, the Obama second re-election campaign, and. You know, Obama was at the top of the ticket, and there's no question that Tammy Baldwin got a huge boost from having run on a ticket with Barack Obama. She will get no such boost this year. To the extent that there's going to be a boost, it, it might be on the Republican side, because a number of us presume that Governor Scott Walker is going to be running for re-election. There's no presidential race that is out there. 
Baldwin also got a huge boost by virtue of the fact that there was an extremely contested Republican primary. You might remember three or four way Republican primary. Tommy Thompson came out of the primary as the winner, but he spent all his money on winning the primary. And his campaign essentially didn't run ads for about four or five, six weeks after that. And that's where Baldwin just beat him up on the air and ran her own ads. And, and that proved to be something that, that the Thompson campaign just could not overcome. So a lot of that stuff is not necessarily going to be happening this year. There are a number of strong potential candidates out there who appear to be willing to take on Tammy Baldwin. Arguably, the highest profile name is Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. There have been a number of national conservative groups who have been trying to encourage the sheriff to run. And matter of fact, at the the CPAC thing, the Conservative Political Action Committee meetings last week, a number of prominent people were encouraging the sheriff to to make that decision to run. Now, yesterday on uh, Fox, David Clark goes on and he says, well, I, I haven't made a decision. I never say never. I haven't totally closed the door, but I think it's less than 50% that I would run for the Senate. So he hasn't made up his mind one way or the other. He's trying to express what I think is probably an honest position about you know, whether or not he's going to get in the race. All right. I want to conduct an informal poll here. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Toll and Talk text line. Big thing number two. Would you like to see David Clark run against Tammy Baldwin for U.S. Senate in 2018? Would that be a great race? Would he be a great senator? Would you like to see him take on Tammy Baldwin? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss right after the news. If you're on the line, please hold on. That's big thing number two. It's 859. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, Jane was saying, we just, we just hit 20 degrees here. Um, Brian says it's going to be 60 by Monday. You know, it's just so it's like, wow. All right, 40 degrees swing in the matter of a couple of days, actually in 50s by Sunday. All right, big thing number two, uh, David Clark. There's been a draft David Clark to run for U.S. Senate campaign that's been going on. Uh, yesterday he goes on Fox and he says that I, I'm, I'm probably – less than 50-50 that I am actually going to run, but I never say never, and I'm considering stuff. Would he be a strong candidate? Would you like to see him run? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. Jim in Sheboygan. Jim, good morning. You're first. Yes. um, I believe that David Clark could be Tammy Walden, and the reason being he's an intelligent man of action that would keep his promises. Mm -hmm. You think he's the... I think, I mean, clearly, uh, a lot of the people that supported Donald Trump and helped Donald Trump win Wisconsin last year, I think those same people would probably turn out and, and vote for David Clark, no doubt about it. Right, I believe in that, too. All right, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Lots of good potential candidates whose names are, are out there. Um, lots of friends of the program. Uh, State Senator Leah Vukmir, I know, is one of the people that's considering a run. Uh, Sean Duffy congressman from western northwestern wisconsin announced that he's not going to be running he would have been a form formidable candidate with david clark would you like to see him run dave in manitowoc dave you're on 620 wtmj good morning yeah actually it's steve but steve. Uh, yeah david clark was in my class my uh, high school class at market high way back then. really so i've known him a long time not, not not a close friend or anything but i it's been fun to see him grow over the years into, into what he's 
some now. And yeah, I'd love to see him run for credit. Uh, I know he doesn't have a lot of typical political experience, but I think that's kind of what we're getting away from are the mainstream, mainstream politicians who make this a career and yeah. not really beholden to the, to the voters, but to their own careers. And Do you think his them. message, I mean, David Clark, like him or love him, a very controversial figure. There, there's really no middle ground when it comes to the sheriff. I mean, people have very strong opinions. Do you think, um, do you think, do you think outstate Wisconsin, I mean, you're calling from Manor to Walk, do you think the Milwaukee County Sheriff would play well outstate Wisconsin? I think you would resonate with, with, with conservatives, you know, the, the Trump, typical Trump people and conservatives yeah. who, you know, we're tired, we're tired of the old, same old, same old, and he's got a great message, you know, he's law and order and supporting police and good neighborhoods and, yeah. yeah, I think he's a man of his principles and a man that won't be swayed by political aspirations. Yeah, th- thanks. You know, I, I think one of the, to me, one of the big questions that the sheriff is going to have to answer, it, and, and it's it's an internal question, and it's, do you want the job? Because that, that's, that's always the first thing you have to say. All right, do you want, because look, being a U.S. senator is a very, very cool thing. There are only 100 people who are U.S. senators. But at the same time, you are part of of a body. It is a very, very powerful position. There's no question about it. But you are you're limited. You're limited by the Senate rules. You're limited by you know the your majority leader or whatever. You you just you can only be so much of a maverick. And I think one of the questions that, that the sheriff's got to answer is, do I really want that job? Do is that what my next job is going to be? And, and candidly, I. I, I think it's going to be fascinating, one way or the other, to watch David Clark's career and to see what 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 is his next step. I have said this before. I don't think he's going to run again. And I I've not talked to him about this. This is just my speculation. I, I don't think I don't think he is going to run again as Milwaukee County Sheriff. And it's not because I don't necessarily think he could win. It's just because I think maybe you know he's been the sheriff since two thousand two. He's been the sheriff since 2002, appointed by then-governor, acting governor Scott McCallum, re-elected four times since then, and now, you know, we're looking at 2018. I do think that there's a kind of a trajectory in careers, and I think he's probably ready to do something different. And again, that's just me speculating. Is it going to be the U.S. Senate? Um, I don't know. Let's talk to Bruce in Wauwatosa. Bruce, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. As much as I, 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 one time I really liked Clark, and I, I still like him, but I think the last six months of him, I think, too much theater, and I think that's what the election would be. Mm-hmm. I think the phosphorus should come, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, well or, 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 or maybe a drama. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I understand. That's why, I, I mean, Sheriff Clark has always been polarizing. He's, he's more polarizing now than ever. In large part, I think because of the, the national profile that he has obtained as you know one of the one of the true surrogates for the Trump campaign. You know, he was out there. He's got this national image, but at the same time, um, if you look at if you look at other people that were polarizing and had national images, I mean, Al Franken, for God's sake, Al Franken is in the U.S. Senate. Al Franken's big credit was you know appearing in a couple B movies and being a you know a comedy writer. And being on Saturday Night Live, I mean, he was a personality. So, I mean, David Clark is a personality, but there, there's also substance behind David Clark. Now, again, you can agree with him or you can disagree with him on issues, um, but he does have like a larger-than-life personality. I have to tell you, I think it would be, from my perspective, as somebody, as a political junkie and somebody who talks about races and comments on them, 
Tammy Baldwin and David Clark would be about, that would be low-hanging fruit. That would be a gift to guys like me. Let's talk to Kate in Pewaukee. Kate, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for putting me on your show. Thank you for calling. Hi. I, you know, I have a great respect for Sheriff Clark, and I think he's, he's been um, just a great sheriff, and I, I like what he does. Mm-hmm. However, um, I think that the Republican Party should be um, a champion, a person who has been a full, long-term Republican and is committed to the party and has done the things that need to be done. Um, so quite frankly, I would much rather see Leah Lukmir run, and I think she would be an equally strong mm-hmm. opponent to Tammy Baldwin. Yeah, well, Leah would be, and, and she's, I, I don't know that she's made any sort of decisions yet, but I know she's kind of considering getting in the race as well. And I think I think she would be a, a strong candidate as well, Kate. Thanks for calling. And, and Leah would be somebody that I could certainly see myself you know, supporting if she was the Republican nominee. Now, Leah Vukmir doesn't have doesn't have anywhere near the, the name recognition, good or bad. She doesn't have anywhere near with the public profile that somebody like David Clark has. Um, but clearly, I mean, she's been... She's been a party activist, and she's been a leader when it comes to initiative. i got nothing bad to say about Lee at all. And if she gets in the race, um, she certainly I, I'm, she will be welcome guest on this program because I think she's got a lot of positive stuff to offer. Um, it wouldn't probably have the fireworks <laughs> that, a, that a Clark Baldwin race would have. Anyways, this is, you, they don't, nobody has to decide right now. And the reality of this is that it used to always be because these races are so expensive – that you, you had to make decisions a year, a year and a half in advance, start fundraising and things like that. I think the nature of campaign finance now and the fact that you're talking again with some outsized personalities like David Clark, for example, that means if he wanted to get in the race, he doesn't make, have to make the decision today or tomorrow because there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, David Clark is going to generate a ton of support if he decides to get in the race. I, I do think. It would be wise for Republicans, and I'm not, I'm not encouraging collusion or things like that, but it would be wise for Republicans to take at least a lesson from what happened in 2012, where you had a bitterly contested, I think, four-way primary that left the eventual nominee just essentially broke. And, you know, Tammy Baldwin able to beat up on Governor Thompson, former Governor Thompson, for weeks and weeks without them being able to respond. That... I don't know if Tommy would have been able to win anyways, given the electoral tides in 2012 and Barack Obama on the top of the ballot. But certainly not being able to mount an effective advertising campaign for four or five weeks, essentially the campaign being dark, didn't help. And so I think Republicans do need to be a little bit mindful of that. But from a fundraising perspective, I think the dynamic is slightly different. And yes, I'm getting a number of emails. Would would Clark run as a Democrat? No, I, 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 I would suspect that in this particular case, if Sheriff Clark decided to get in the race, he would not be challenging Tammy Baldwin in the Democratic primary. I think he would be running as a Republican. Again, that's if he chooses to run. It's 917, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up next, big thing number three, freeways and racism. Stick around. Nine twenty, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ, eleven oh five. We're going to be rolling out our big summer promotion, and um, I, I, I found out about it in the last couple of days, and it's it's really cool. We have 
we have outdone ourselves, and uh, we'll be telling you all about it, so tune in at 1105. We're also going to be Facebooking live the announcement, so you'll be able to watch it. Vice President Mike Pence is coming to Wisconsin. What's he doing here? Steve Scafidi and Eric Bilstadt get the details live from Janesville. Tune in at 1207. Okay, big thing number three. The freeway projects have always been controversial, and given the strain on the Department of Transportation budget, they're even more controversial now than ever. For the longest time, there has been a planned freeway expansion, a widening of lanes essentially between the Marquette Interchange and 70th Street on I-94 east and westbound because if you have ever driven that in rush hour traffic, you know that there are always bottlenecks. And if you get... Lord forbid you get any sort of bad weather at all or you get a collision, it becomes, it it takes a, it turns what should be a 30 minute drive into an hour drive on a regular basis. The answer is, of course, to widen the freeway. And that's what the Department of Transportation has done. They have a plan to widen the freeway again between 70th Street, 17th Street and 70th Street. They're going to be rearranging a couple, um, uh, off ramps. And the, the way they're going to be doing it to take the least space possible is they're going to be narrowing a couple of the lanes, but that's ultimately what the plan is. You've got a lot of people in the area who are the NIMBYs, the not-in-my-backyard crowd, who don't want don't want the freeway closer to where their homes are. And then you've got the, the people who just hate freeways. That, that's it. The folks who say, you know, we, I did, we just hate cars. We don't want cars driving around here. So, you know, if... If you put, uh, if you widen the freeways, that's going to make it easier for people to drive cars. So we we don't want that to happen. Well, anyhow, that stretch of freeway, 17th Street to 70th Street, the widening, the expansion has been planned for a number of years. Recently, Governor Walker said, "I want to delay this part." And the reason he said he wants to delay it is because he said, "Look, we've got all these transportation demands, and that's a controversial thing. I know people are going to be filing lawsuits." I know it's going to get tied up in court, and rather than fighting over that, given that we've got a limited amount of money, I think we should spend the money doing other things, projects that aren't going to be as controversial. Finish the zoo zoo interchange. Finish the um, expansion from Racine County down to the the state line of, um, of 94, those type of things. So it's very unclear right now where that freeway expansion from 17th to 70th Street stands. Well, earlier this week, the NAACP filed a lawsuit seeking to block that expansion project. All right, now you might say, okay, why is the NAACP filing a lawsuit? Um, This lawsuit, which was filed in federal court, um, was filed by the Milwaukee branch of the NAACP, a chapter of the Sierra Club. Now, the Sierra Club, again, you, you get where they're coming from. These are the we don't like cars we don't like roads. We're going to try to block it. So you get where, where the Sierra Club's coming from, and the Milwaukee Inner City Congregations Allied for Hope, this left-wing group, MICA. All right, here's the argument, though, that's made. Spend. This is what they claim. Spending billions of dollars on one extravagant highway expansion project after another, while transit services and funding keep getting cut. While transit services and funding keep getting cut. I'm just wondering, do you have any idea... We've already approved this idea to tear up roadways so that you can run a high-speed bus line in, but never mind. Um, The lawsuit alleges, while transit services and funding keeps getting cut, 
reduces the ability of many Milwaukee residents, particularly persons of color, to access employment, education, health care, and other activities. So the NAACP is saying expanding the freeways is essentially racist because it limits the ability of persons of color to get transportation options. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. That is one of the most ridiculous things that I have ever heard. Is there any, in your opinion, any merit to that claim at all that somehow by expanding the freeway to make it easier to travel between 17th and 70th Street in Milwaukee to avoid bottlenecks, you are somehow discriminating against persons of color? And my question would be to the NAACP, don't you think people, persons of color, might also occasionally drive automobiles and want to, I don't know, get along on the freeway just as quickly as the rest of us do? Is it racist to expand the freeway? 414-799-1620 is number. Big thing number three we discuss next. 925, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 928, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Wisconsin's ban on Irish butter is making national headlines. Hmm. Why aren't stores allowed to sell it in the dairy state? Get the details on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 521 today. All right, big thing number three. Lawsuit filed in federal court two days ago, alleging essentially that it is racist to expand the freeways because, I don't know, by putting money into the freeways, you reduce the ability of persons of color to access employment, education, health care, and other activities. This is the stupidest argument. I'm sorry, I don't know any way to say it. This is the dumbest argument that I have heard in a long time, and that is saying something. Why do we assume that persons of color don't drive automobiles as well? One of the things you find, by the way, is if you... If you can figure out ways to connect people with jobs, one of the first things that people do once they get jobs is they buy cars so that they can drive back and forth so they are not dependent on public transportation. I mean, you want to talk about a racist approach. This is some assumption that because you're a person of color, you're, you're not going to be using the freeway, you're not going to be driving. That, to me, is what the ultimate insult is. have a text here. Who dreams this crap up? Yes. Yes, these are the lawyers that dream this crap up. There's no nice way to say this. This is this idea that, look, if you want to argue the merits of a freeway expansion, okay, that's fine. I happen to think that you've got to do something to do away with that bottleneck that occurs on a regular basis. Just listen to our traffic reports in the morning and the afternoon, particularly when there's bad weather or there's a collision. Look what happens to the freeway in that stretch between 17th and 70th. It is just not big enough. You need more lanes. I appreciate what Governor Walker is talking about. I understand why maybe it makes sense to delay that project so uh, get the other stuff done that's going to be less controversial. But the notion that expanding the freeway by a couple lanes is racist, give me a break. It's 934, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Eric in Glendale. 
wins our final pair of tickets to see Roger Waters at the BMO Harris Bradley Center on July 29th. Um, real thank you to the promoters for making so many tickets available to give away. I, I know it's going to be just an absolutely tremendous show, and if you weren't able to win over the course of the last seven or eight days, I'd encourage you to consider getting a pair of tickets because um, I tell you, Pink Floyd doesn't get much better than that. The cannabis industry is bracing for stronger drug enforcement under President Donald Trump. Get all the details in the latest Decode DC investigation, available now in the Features tab of the WTMJ mobile app. While you're there, be sure to download the podcast of this show. I know a lot of people are doing that, and I just uh, appreciate that very much. Coming up at 11.05, we're going to be announcing the rollout and giving you a head head start at our, our big summer promotion and I got to tell you, like I say, it is it is extremely cool. We've done a lot of great things in the past, but this this might be the coolest. And the tie-in that we've got going, well, it's just absolutely exceptional. All right, is this a legitimate criticism or not? I I understand that there's a lot of people who do not like Donald Trump. Right? I I, I get it. I was ambivalent during the election. Actually, I think a lot of the policies that he has been implementing since he became president, I, I agree with. I, I have some issues with some of the stuff that he's talking about, but but as far as his nomination for the Supreme Court, as far as a lot of the policies talking about, I, I, I support him. My big question all along during the campaign was, you know, it was, was Donald Trump, as President Trump, was he going to govern as a conservative? And at least so far, as, as to the policy rollouts that we've seen thus far, I think he's pretty clearly governing as a conservative. That could, in fact, change when we start talking about the infrastructure building. and Because if you listen to his speech the other night, there were some big government things that were there. But Donald Trump has become a lightning rod for, for protest. You've got what, next Wednesday, March 8th, is the supposed the day without women, where all these diverse groups are supposed to unite together, even though they don't agree on anything, except apparently the fact that they, they don't like Donald Trump. So there's a lot of people out there that anything President Trump does will be criticized. In his address to Congress a couple nights ago, in what I think is going to be one of the more memorable moments in a presidential address, he singles out, for example, Karen Owens, the wife of the fallen Navy SEAL. And we talked about this yesterday. There's all sorts of people who think that this was just contemptible, that he he's using her as, as a prop. And this is awful that you're taking advantage of this um, fallen soldier's wife and exploiting her. And I didn't see a woman who was being exploited at all. But those are the people. It's the long knives, the folks that don't like President Trump. All right. Well, here's the latest flap. Um, yesterday. Yesterday, Donald Trump is touring the aircraft carrier that will soon be known as the USS Gerald Ford, and he's addressing the crew. As a gift, the crew presents him with a flight jacket and an admiral's hat. The flight jacket is personalized with the words, POTUS, President of the United States, POTUS 45 on the back. It's a gift from the crew, right? So he's on there. So what he does is, this is what he says. He says, they, this is the crew, they said, here, Mr. President, take this home. I said, let me wear it during his address. And he said, then then they gave me this beautiful hat, and I said, you know what? Maybe I'll do that. He says, we have a great Make America great hat. But this is special. This is a special day, and we're wearing this. 
Um, so he puts on the cap that he's been given, and he puts on the Admiral's flight jacket. Um, this cap is similar to other caps that were being worn by crew members during the speech. Um, they were a gift to him. He puts them on. Right Now, you wouldn't necessarily think this was controversial, but this has become controversial. The Internet explodes. Here are some of the things that were being posted. As a veteran, watching a five-time draft-dodging coward saluting a Marine guard is the epitome of hypocrisy. Impeach this cowardly so-and-so, although it doesn't say so-and-so now. My skin, another one, my skin crawls watching this man wear the uniform of my service. This is disgraceful. Um, another one, as a vet, seeing this disgusting, pathetic man and that get up aboard the new carrier makes me sick to my stomach, etc., etc. So you have various people who are calling foul on him for putting on the flight jacket and the cap that were given to him as a gift by the crew. 414-799-1620, that is the Accunate Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I think there's a lot of things that people can fairly criticize the President of the United States, United States for. But, all right, he's given the flight jacket, he's given the cap as a gift. He decides to put them on and wear them during a portion of his address to the crew. Right? Was this disrespectful? Was it inappropriate? Do the critics have a point? Or do they need to stop whining? 414-799-1620 is the number. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 940, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 944, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There's been a rise in hate and violence against faith groups. Ilana Khan, Elena Khan of the Milwaukee Jewish Federation, and retired police officer Brian Murphy have seen it up close. They'll join the guys for the Friday Forum at 207. All right, yesterday, President Trump is touring the soon-to-be-commissioned naval carrier USS Gerald Ford. The crew gives him a personalized flight jacket. It says POTUS, President of the United States, 45 on the back, and they give him a, a flight cap, uh, an admiral's cap. In his speech, he puts them on. He, he puts them on as acknowledgment of the gift. He is being ripped in social media by veterans saying, this is disrespectful, he shouldn't have done it. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mark in Heartland. Mark, you're first. Good morning. Morning, Jeff, and good job replacing Charlie Sykes. If Thank anybody, you. If anybody could, you could. Thank you, sir. Um, I'm a Navy veteran, Vietnam Navy veteran. I did several tours overseas. Um, I was on smaller ships, but I had occasion to be on the bigger aircraft carriers like President Trump was. I think the people that are calling and objecting to him wearing gifts from the crew need to get a life. (laughs) They need to find something important to do with with their time. Um, I watched that yesterday on TV because it was the commissioning of a new aircraft carrier. Right. And that was given to him by the crew right. as a tribute, as an honor. It's not official Navy uniform. It's something the admirals, the captains, even the crew, they all have a jacket like that. They wear it out ceremonial things. They wear it out to nightclubs at night on base. They wear it out with their families. You can go to a store and buy a kiddies version of that entire thing, and their kids are wearing those around, too. It's there's no insult intended. It's considered a tribute. Well, yeah, and, and see, and I guess the way I interpreted that, because I watched that segment as well, Mark, I, I, I thought this was the president as his way of, of actually acknowledging the gift and kind of saying thank. What, 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 
What a better way to acknowledge something, to say, hey, I'm touched by the fact that you have given me this. I'm going to put this on. I mean, that that's, I think, a way of showing appreciation and gratitude to the crew, not disrespect to anybody. If you go back through years, uh, Jeff, you go back through the years, and I'm showing my age a little bit. Raquel Welch used to wear that kind of garb that was given <laughs> to her by the troops. Bob Hope. Um, various comedians and entertainers that went overseas over they were constantly on stage wearing that exact same type of thing. It was given to them as an as an honor it wasn 't right. demeaning or well right and I mean last time I checked Mark, he is the commander in chief <laughs> you know I mean he is the commander in chief now thanks for the call i 'm getting flooded with texts on our text line let 's see Tom writes it would be more disrespectful if he did not wear the gift that they presented to him. Have another one Jesse in Green Bay says people are upset um you know, if they're upset, they should be upset at the crew members that gave him the jacket. The president didn't come wearing the jacket on his own. Another text, this can't be real veterans. I'm a Vietnam combat veteran, and I'm proud of President Trump. Let's talk to Eric and Racine. Eric, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I, I was telling uh, your screener uh-huh. that, you know, I, I'm not a big, I, I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't vote for Hillary. Um, but he is the president of the United States, and he deserves that respect as such. And this was a gift to him. This was given to him as a gift. And I think what he did is he honored uh, the military by wearing this gift he accepted. And I think the people that are complaining coming out, oh, he should have worn this. They would have been the first people to jump on him if he had not worn it. Think, oh, look at that. See, he disrespects the military, blah, blah, blah. They would have gone off on him. It was a no-win situation no matter what he did. Well, exactly. At least among the critics. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, I think he handled this in absolutely the perfect fashion. If um, okay, I mean, it's kind of a different context, but I'm trying to think of things. I I speak to groups all the time. You do events um, occasionally. They will give you, and, and again, it's it's not like being the president of the United States on a military carrier, but the group will give you. Okay, maybe they'll give you a hat that's a series. Here's a hat or it's a jacket associated with the Boy Scouts or whatever. And as you're saying thank you, I mean, oftentimes you'll put it on. I mean, that's it is just something you do to acknowledge the gift and the expression. And I, I guess, look, I think it is fair to criticize President Trump for all sorts of things. I appreciate that. And, and some of the stuff, some of the stuff he does, he deserves criticism. But one of the things that's going on is that you have certain groups of people that just, they're, they're looking for stuff to be offended by. And at some time point in time, that gets wearisome. On our text line, Steve from Scene writes, I agree with our first caller. People need to put on their big boy pants and stop getting offended by every little thing. It was a gift. Let's talk to Dan and Racine. Dan, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yes, being a vet myself, these people don't speak for uh, the majority of us. The fact is, at least the guy's done something with it instead of throwing it on the back of the Air Force One when he gets <laughs> on there. And who knows where it's at. But where was the outrage when health care was given to transgender surgeries before Korean vets got served mm-hmm. in a VA hospital? That was priority. Half the fleet is not operational because of the last guy that was in office who never served it and did whatever he did to get out of war. You know, we live in a... Unfortunately, we don't have superheroes, and the ones that do get a, a chance to serve, they just put down anyway. So why would a general or anybody that served in the military try to take that position? You know, who needs the criticism? But you know what? What you get with Trumpism, you get what you get. You know, the guy doesn't care. He's not a politician, and he'll do what he wants. That's what we all love about him. Right, and, and, and I, don't, I just, I mean, I don't think there's any way you can look, Dan, at what he did yesterday as being disrespectful to veterans. I mean, it, if, if anything, 
not wearing the jacket might have been a, a might have been disrespectful. I mean, this was thank you. You've given me this gift. I appreciate it. I love it. I'm wearing it while I'm speaking to you. That's the way that you that's the way that you act in that situation. It seems to me. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. No, I, I just again. I, it's just I, I read some of these stories and it just it makes your head want to explode. Like I say, if if you want to. Get on the president for 2 a.m. tweets or for being thin-skinned about this or that or the other thing. God bless you. I, I get that. But but seriously, and I, I, I'm trying to think back. i got to believe that there were occasions where, for example, if you want to talk about draft dodging, I wanted, I'm want sure there were occasions where, you know, Bill Clinton received gifts from the military and displayed them. And I, I don't remember outrage of, about that or people who never served in the military, like Barack Obama. And, you know, look, at some point in time, they are the commander-in-chief. Donald Trump will do things that might legitimately offend people, but whether it's this story or the other fake news story of the week, the thing with his his aide, Kellyanne Conway, who, who, who kneels on a sofa in the Oval Office so she can take a group picture of a bunch of people from historically black colleges who are in the Oval Office, and then this erupts into this Twitter storm of how disrespectful, you know, she's kneeling on this couch in the Oval Office. Well, she's kneeling on the couch because she's trying to get the best angle to take a picture on her cell phone of all these people in the room, and that becomes a one-day news cycle story. If you See, this is my message to the mainstream media. If you wonder why it is that people get turned off and start tuning out and start looking for alternative sources. It's because of obsessions with things like this. Kellyanne Conway kneeling on the couch. Well, she's kneeling on the couch to get a better picture. Didn't seem to bother anybody else, but it bothers the anti-Trump folks. Donald Trump, President Trump, touring an aircraft carrier. The crew gives him a present. He puts it on. Oh, people are outraged. Really? Really? Um, you know, wow. It's 9.52, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 955, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Lori in Spring Grove, text. And by the way, this is our, um, we just rolled this out this week. If you hear me making references to the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line, it's because now you can text the program. I've got this computer screen that brings up the text as well. So I still want you to call, but I know there's a lot of people who, for whatever reason, don't want to call, don't want to go on the air, but want to participate in the program. So now it's the same number, 414-799-1620, but you also have the option of texting if you want, and uh, we'll share some of them. Lori in Spring Grove says, I'm not a Trump supporter, um, but uh, and I voted for Hillary. If she had been given the jacket, she would have put it on also. He did what he was supposed to do as president. By the way, there would have been people out there saying the same thing about her. Um, yeah, that there might be an element of that as well. But bottom line is, come on, if you're going to get upset about stuff, you know, figure out the real stuff to get upset about. All right. I, I admit I am fascinated as a taxpayer and a resident of Milwaukee County. I am just fascinated by the daily the daily evidence of what a clown car act Milwaukee County government is. Now, we have been tracing the pension scandal since 2001 when the former county executive, the late Tom Amitt, together with members of the county board, cooked up with help from different advisors this plan that was supposed to be revenue neutral, which essentially resulted in certain government employees being able to retire with enormous cash payouts and still enormous monthly pensions. It was a complete and total debacle. It led to a shakeup in county government, and it led to the rise of Governor Walker. 
the county pension system has been screwed up ever since then and maybe but before that. And this, this goes back to Amen. It goes through the Walker administration and certainly under Chris Abley. The latest revelations are that um, the, the, the woman who headed the pension system, she was just forced to resign or resigned by Abley because it comes out that there was an employee who was overpaid a total of $140,000 over the years. And apparently that the pension system knew about it didn't do anything to, to make any didn't do anything to stop it and the, the woman's defense who runs the pension system is essentially hey this thing is so screwed up it's like there's 40 holes in the dike I've plugged 39 yeah I missed this one but it, it's really screwed up it now turns out that back in 2014 there was an, an IRS there was a report to the IRS documenting how bad the problem was Abley now says, and this just became public this week through an open records request by the local newspaper. Abley now says, I didn't know about this report until recently. I Essentially, I just found out about this. I had no idea how bad this was. Now I need to have this other audit because my guess is there's all sorts of other problems. Now, so that's Chris Abley's way of saying, I, I did not stonewall this report. I was not involved in covering up. I just didn't know about it, which... raises the other question, how could you not know about it? I mean, how incompetent or messed up could the system be that the county executive is, who's been the county executive since 2011, is unaware that there's this report detailing all the problems in the pension system? Now, I'm not going to call Abley a liar. I'm going to take him his word when he says he didn't know about it, but that's not necessarily a defense. It's, It's kind of like the defense members of the county board gave when they voted for the pension scandal in the first place, that, well, we, we just didn't understand this, we were misled, whatever. Here is the bottom line. Milwaukee County government, whether it's the county board, whether it's the county executive's office, or a lot of the administrative bureaucracy, it is a clown car act in the extreme. Milwaukee count, Milwaukee County, allowing the Milwaukee County to have an independent pension system is absolutely crazy. All other branches of state government go through the state pension system. You do not have problems with that. And it's way past time to get rid of the Milwaukee County pension system, have it turned over to the state, let people who know what they're doing do their jobs, because it's clear that nobody in county government knows what they're doing when it comes, at least when it comes to the pension system. It's 959. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. Coming up in about an hour, we're going to be announcing it's going to be the rollout of our big summer promotion. You want to be listening because um, we've been doing we've been doing really cool things for a number of years, and I have to tell you, in all honesty, I think uh, we have outdone ourselves. That is the Royal We, our pr- pr- our promotions folks, and and together with partnership with. Um, some great institutions and some great people. This this one's going to be one you do not want to miss, and we'll be rolling that out in just about an hour. By the way, the, the discussion about whether Donald Trump had cons- committed some huge faux pas when he's on the aircraft carrier and he's wearing the jacket that the crew gave him as a gift, that that's not the dumbest Trump controversy of the week. The dumbest Trump controversy. And I was going to open up the phone lines on this, but the truth is, the truth is that there is nothing to be gained by taking calls on this. The dumbest controversy. <laughs> Last Saturday, um, Donald Trump leaves the White House for his first night on the town since becoming the commander-in-chief. 
So it's his first D.C. dinner. Apparently, what he ends up doing is he goes, he, together with his, his party, goes to a place called BTL Prime, which is a restaurant in the Trump International Hotel that recently opened near the, the White House. And they, they chose it because it's kind of safe and it's, you know, going to be secure and things like that. So you, you have a press corps that apparently follows him. And they watch what the guy orders. And he orders, he orders a steak. All right. So, um, that's not necessarily that big a deal. You go to a steakhouse, you're, you're probably going to order a steak. Well, here's, here is the controversy. He orders the steak and then he orders it well done. And that has, that has the internet abuzz. He's ordered a steak well done. What a rube. What a terrible person. Can you believe he ordered the steak? Well done. And then, Hondo, who is producing the show today and always, I hope you're sitting down, because then it gets worse. The critic for the Washington Post notes that not only did he order his expensive $54 steak well done, but he also had ketchup with it and had the audacity to dip some of the steak in ketchup. How, what a peasant that this man might be. This is the guy that we have elected the President of the United States. He goes to a high-end steak place, he orders his steak well done, and then he has some ketchup with it. Oh, the horrors! Barack Obama would have never ordered a well-done steak. Does it, don't we know that the only way to eat steak is rare or medium rare or whatever? I mean, and if you think I am making this up, Honest to goodness, I have in my hands the story that ran in all sorts of newspapers across the uh, country this week about how, you know, well, they, they say, you know, when you go to a high-end s- restaurant, what they do is the, the servers are supposed to try to talk you out of, you know, ordering your steak well done because, well, it takes some of the flavor out of that. And guests are also encouraged to consider a steak such as a ribeye other than a filet because the ribeye has more marbleization. I, I don't know. I mean, you get to a certain point in your life where you figure out how you like things. Now, at the risk of being labeled a culinary rube, I like my steaks, um, medium well. I just, I, I just, I understand that, you know, you lose a little bit of a flavor in the cooking, but when I go into a place, I order the steaks medium well. It's tough to get steaks medium well. I understand. Sometimes you can say you can butterfly it. And while I typically, you know, don't eat ketchup with them, I don't fault people who do. To me, it's kind of like, you know, that's, that's the great thing about life. Some people like chocolate ice cream. Some people like vanilla ice cream. Some people like their steaks medium rare. Some people like their steaks well done. Some people like filets. Some like ribeyes. Some like me order New York strip steaks all the time. But seriously, you've got critics that are following Donald Trump, writing stories about the fact that he ordered his steak well done. <clears throat> Headline today, above the fold in USA Today, and I, I want to, I might talk about this on Monday. I want to, I want to reserve judgment. My, my inclination is to say that this is another example of fake news, but I, I want to, I just want to think about it over the course of the weekend and see if there is more information that, that comes out. But, uh, again, this is the ongoing 
efforts by the mainstream media to try to under, undermine the Trump administration. And Lord knows there's stuff you can criticize him for, like I say. But at the same time, give me a break. Mike Pence, for, now vice president, former governor of Indiana. And I actually think he has been a leading light in the Trump administration. I think to the extent that stuff gets accomplished between the Trump administration and Congress, Mike Pence is going to be the bridge that gets a lot of these things done. He was the governor of Indiana. And now the breathless story is that it turns out when he was governor of Indiana, he had his government email account. He also had a private email account, not a private server, but a private, a separate personal email account. This wasn't some like special, unique server that they set up. It was like his own AOL account or whatever it would have been. And they're now saying that, well, they've got all these reports that there are 30 emails or so that show that he routinely conducted state business from a personal AOL email account while governor of Indiana. And the breathless story in USA Today says these are only a small fraction of the state-related emails that Pence sent or received from that account. All right, so this is the scandal du jour, front page above the fold. And, of course, the analysis and the analogy as well. Republicans made a big deal of Hillary Clinton. Well, all right, that's, I, I want to think about this, but as far as I, first of all, in Indiana, there's no law, it's not against the law, that says that you can't conduct state business on the personal email account. So there, there's no law that is violated. Secondly, unlike Hillary Clinton, it's not like Mike Pence is dealing with classified information at, at, at all. So my sense is, to try to make an analogy between Hillary Clinton and Mike Pence, I really think it's apples and bananas, is, is what I, I think it is. But I, I want to kind of think this through. But in any event, it, it seems like every day there is a scandal du jour that's thrown out there, and most of these things end up being much ado about nothing. I think this email thing is going to be one. And again, I understand it plays into, well, Republicans make this big deal about Hillary Clinton using a private server. Well, that, that was a private server that she used classified, that she used to handle classified government information. This was a, a public email account, and there's no prohibition about apparently using part of it for, for state business. So again, I, I don't think there's anything here. But you, you never know, and that, of course, is the ongoing battle with the media when it comes to the Trump administration now. Let's see what the distraction can be for this day. Let's see how people can take their eye off the prize. It's 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very happy to have you with us. The Bucks beef up their front court with the signing of Terrence Jones. Will the roster addition bring them any closer to the playoffs? Greg Matzik says they're lottery-bound. Greg Matzik is a smart man. He explains tonight on Sports Central starting at 6.07. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. In the next couple of weeks... Production in America in the American workforce will not come to a grinding halt, but it will slow down dramatically because of an annual event. Hondo, do you know what that annual event is? 
Hondo gets it in one. Tournament time. March Madness. Um, there's a story that I was looking at. It was in Fox Business yesterday. March Madness tournament pools might be a welcome diversion for American workers. But here's what they say. Um, distracted college basketball fans will cost U.S. employers the most on record in this year in terms of lost productivity based on a conservative estimate that 23.7 million employees will use company time to research, construct, and check their NCAA basketball tournament brackets this year. The estimates are that U.S. employers stand to lose 615 M as in million dollars per year per hour. I'm sorry, 615 million dollars per hour in wages to distracted workers. If applied to high end, the high end estimates that 81.5 million workers will spend at least an hour on their brackets. Employers' losses rise to as much as 2.1 million dollars. And they say that as the, these bracket things and these office pools and stuff like that become more common, the number of people participating go up, the number of lost wages go up, which is raising this question about whether or not employers should crack down on NCAA pools. And I don't even want to get into the question of whether you know they're in violation of state law or whatever, but the distraction to the workplace Apparently, this is a huge loss of productivity by people playing these things in the office. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Does your company, does your office, do you have office brackets? Should the companies crack down on them? Are these a distraction that needs to be stopped? Or is this not unlike, hey, we're, we're, you know, Louise is pregnant. We're having a baby shower for her. It's a good kind of company team-building thing. Um, do employers need to crack down on this? Should they stop them? Or is this just a fun thing for offices to do? 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. We had a sports guy here. We used to have one. Interestingly, the guy that ran, ran the pool always seemed to win win the thing, too. Never quite knew how that went. All right, um, NCAA pools, should employers crack down on them in the workplace? We discuss next, 1023. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1025, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This one study I'm looking at, it, it really, it, it, it's incredible. I mean, they, they estimate that the average worker in an American workplace spends about one hour filling out their NCAA bracket a year, and if they have computer access, an additional two hours of streaming tournament games during work hours of the loss in productivity is, you know, in one estimate I'm looking at, it says almost $4 billion. All right, is this, these NCAA brackets and the office pools and things like that that will be coming out over the course of the next week or two, all right, do employers need to crack down on this, or is this just a fun thing for workers to do? Let's start with Scott in Hales Corner. Scott, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, good morning, Hi, Jeff. Scott. How are you? I am well, thank you, sir. My cold is getting better right in time for the weekend. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. My belief is that I've been a worker all my adult and most of my teenage life is that workers are and should be treated as human beings. They are not machines. And especially in an era where we've seen stagnant wages and benefits, the destruction of pensions, 
the closing off of a lot of opportunities to American workers that, in my mind, are their birthright. Mm-hmm. You know, workers need to start pushing the envelope sometimes and making it clear that an employer should respect that workers have the right to have a little fun now and then, mm-hmm. as long as production is not disrupted, as long as the workflow is not being harmed or productivity isn't being harmed. You're not harming the workplace. You're improving it, really, by improving morale and yeah. letting workers feel a sense of connection to their jobs. Yeah, I see, Scott. I think so. I mean, I agree with you completely. Now, I mean, you could take this to extremes, but it, now, obviously, if if you work for, let's say, an insurance company, and and the job is to handle you know customer calls, and instead of handling customer calls, everybody has you know Duke playing the Little Sisters of the Poor up in the first round of the NCAA basketball game, and they're not answering the phone calls. Uh, because they're watching or streaming the game, that that becomes an issue. So I understand you can take this to extremes, but I guess I look at this, and I, I'm with you. I, I think stuff like this is is a morale building type of thing, and the idea. And I want to put aside again the issue about whether office pools are legal or not, or in violation of state law, or whatever. Let's put aside that issue for a moment. I, I don't think you know having Jane Matinier, you know organize our, our WTMJ NCAA bracket pool. Jane, I don't know if you knew that you were assigned to do that this year. Happily. Okay, happily. But I, like, I, like I say, well, in, in years past, the person who no longer is here, who used to organize the pool, always used to win the pool. I was just, it was year after year. Got a little bit spooky, not casting aspersions, but just, just, just saying. But in any event, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a morale type of thing. And, and can, can you can you carry it too far? Absolutely. Is there a degree of lost productivity? Yeah. But my guess is if you look at the American workplace, there's all sorts of examples of lost productivity that go on. And candidly, I, I think the benefit you get from here letting people follow along and saying, okay, who's, who's winning this thing and who's losing this thing and how am I doing? I, I just think it is a recognition. The NCAA basketball tournament comes around again once, once a year. And for the purpose of having a little bit of fun, I, I say go for it. Now, if I were to give you any advice, if you want to find one weekend to go to Las Vegas, that weekend out of the entire year would be that Thursday through Sunday of the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament. Now, the problem is everybody else is Las Vegas with that. But it is just it is one of the craziest times to be sitting in a sports book because you will have, again, Duke playing the Little Sisters of the Poor. And the the spread might be Duke is favored by 30. And Duke is way ahead. The game is completely and totally out of reach. But you'll have some guy from the Little Sisters of the Poor that drives the length of the floor with half second left and throws in an uncontested layup. So Duke wins by 29 instead of 30. So half the people who bet on Duke lose. It's just incredible. The game will be like 30 points, and people will be cheering madly, not because of the outcome or who wins. It's like, okay, are they going to cover the spread or not? It is just... It's crazy out in Vegas. If I was ever going to advise you, you know, four days to go, it would be go that first weekend of the NCAA. I don't typically because it's just so nuts. But the times I've been there, it has been just absolutely a blast. Hey, today is a big day when it comes to, well, the restaurant industry. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Thirty-four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Uh, this is a. It is not surprising, but it is a. It is a bizarre story. 
there have been, I think, well-documented a number of of threats over the last several weeks made to um, various Jewish community centers across the country, including uh, the the one in Whitefish Bay in in Milwaukee. And it's obviously very, very troubling. Uh, The announcement today is the FBI has arrested a 31-year-old Missouri man who's been charged in connection with a wave of the bomb threats against various Jewish community centers. Now, as far as I can tell, this guy has not been charged specifically with the one in Milwaukee, but um, his name is Juan Thompson. He was picked up in St. Louis. He's accused of making at least eight bomb threats against Jewish institutions in New York, including the Anti-Defamation League and across the country. Um, I think they're starting to wonder whether he might be responsible for a lot more. But this story just gets incredibly weird. He's apparently done them in the name of a former romantic interest. So, uh, like this, what's the line from Margaritaville? Some people claim that there's a woman to blame, but at the end, it's its own darn fault. Apparently, the guy is, what he would do is he would email threats and then he would send notes to the FBI saying his former girlfriend or whatever was the one behind the bomb threats. So he he's making the threats, and he's calling the FBI, saying it's it's this woman who is doing this. In a bizarre twist, some of the threats appear to have been made in his own name as part of an effort to claim that the former girlfriend, who was not identified by prosecutors, was trying to frame him for a crime. In other words, this is just something completely bizarre. And, and again, we don't know if this one guy's been responsible for all of them. My guess is, as the investigation continues, he's now been arrested, you're going to find that he was probably responsible for a lot of them, which might be at least a little bit of comfort um, that, as opposed to a large, organized anti-Semitic activity, it's just some kook who is out there doing it. But uh, more details will emerge. All right. Let, let's let's switch gears for a minute. Let's get away from the world of politics and uh, Milwaukee County pension problems and things like that. Uh, today is the first Friday of Lent, which means restaurants that serve fish fries are going to be swamped. I was listening. We were doing an interview with somebody on the morning news, and they were saying that they estimate that the business business at places that serve fish fries, the first Friday of, of Lent, probably going to be up 40% over normal. I mean, it's just... If you are in the fish fry business, you are going to be just absolutely swamped tonight. It's just the night that lots of people go out to do that, which means if you're going out to eat, what you want to do is either go early, go late, get reservations, or if the place doesn't take reservations, be prepared to wait. But I thought we'd do a, I thought we'd have a little bit of fun today. Again, given it's the first Friday of Lent, That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. If there was one place in our listening area in southeastern Wisconsin that you were going to be able to pick to go for a perfect fish fry on the first Friday of Lent, what would that restaurant be? And what is it that you look for in a restaurant with a good fish fry? Fish fries, I just, one of the things I, I love about Wisconsin is, of course, Friday is the fish fry tradition, and whenever I have friends come in from out of state or people move here from out of state, they just look at us blankly. When I say it's Friday night, of course you're going out for a fish fry. People just do not get how important this is in Wisconsin's heritage. But this is the first Friday of Lent. All right, where do you go for the best fish fry around? 414-799-1620. And what are the elements? 
of a truly great Wisconsin fish fry. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss in just a moment. It is 1038. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1041, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The only thing better than a fish fry is a fish fry at one of your favorite Wisconsin breweries. Get all the details in the latest Friday Fish Fry podcast, available now on the WTMJ mobile app. When you go there, you can download the podcast of my show as well. But that's a good lead into what we're talking about now. This is the first Friday of Lent, and they, they estimate that restaurants that do a fish fry, business is going to be up about 40%. Uh, people are going to be flocking to restaurants tonight, and I thought we'd take at least one segment and just talk about, first of all, what makes a good fish fry and where you go for a good fish fry. See, the thing that's so cool to me about this whole thing is that there are so many like little out-of-the-way places in, in Wisconsin that run really good fish fries, corner bars, things like that, that you you don't necessarily even know about them unless somebody turns you on to them. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike in St. Francis. Mike, good morning. Good morning. Best fish fry in southeastern Wisconsin is? Uh, at the Oak Creek American Legion Post on Shepherd, north of Ryan. I have, do, I have been to that one. Do they do it all the time or just during Lent? Uh, they do it. They do it all year except for in the summer. Okay, right. Because I, I know I've been there. Um, that's one of those like all you can eat places too, right? That's what I seem to remember. Uh, no, it's not all oh, you can eat. Okay, you get a you get a huge yeah. You get the three piece. It's huge. Right. You get all you care to eat. <laughs> you know, oh yeah. Got what makes it so good in your mind? It's always fresh. It, it, yeah. it, it, they've always got good oil. It, it, it always just came right out of the fryer. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's. Thanks. I mean, there's so many different, whether it's American Legion posts or VFW posts that do those various things, um, and they're, they're real treasures to find. And it's it's one of those things where, again, unless you know somebody that's been to it, you you might be, well, I, you know, what, how can they do a good job or not? But yeah, that that's what you got to check out. Let's talk to um, Bob in Greendale. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. If you're going for a fish fry, where's it going to be? Kegels. Oh yeah. Like on uh, on National Avenue there, right. yes. Um, you know, one of the great German restaurants in town, been owned by the family, I, I think for you know probably going on a hundred years, and it is a classic Wisconsin fish fry. Right. And I like the uh, building it's served in. Uh, oh yeah. Good uh, atmosphere that way, and uh, choice of fishes and uh, potato pancakes. Yeah. See, to, to me, that's the key. You got it. A good fish fry has got to at least give you the option of having potato pancakes. I mean, because right. good potato pancakes are tough to find. But you're right. I mean, Kegels is one of those. Thanks for guys. And really nice family. Really nice family. Place is always uh, packed. And I'm sure it's going to be really packed tonight. But it, it's it's a great old building. And it is the traditional Wisconsin fish fry where they, they, they bring out the like the little sides or in the, the like the paper cups and things like that. It's... um. Can't go wrong there. I've never had a bad meal there. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jim in Greenfield. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How I, you doing? I'm doing well. I, of course, this topic is making me hungry. What? Uh, where do you go for your great fish fry the first Friday in Lent? Well, you got the guy here, Jeff. I collect fish fries. I've been to 57 <laughs> different fish fries, and my favorite one is Maddie's in New Berlin. I've never been to their fish fry. I've been to Maddie's in New Berlin. It's a great bar. You've been to you've been to fifty seven different places. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, what what makes Maddie's number one? Well, the breading's number one on the fish. If it's, right. uh, I don't like heavy breading, so right. uh, it's just perfectly breaded. They ha- your comment about the potato pancakes was correct. 
it's hard to find good ones. They have good potato pancakes there. Yeah. Is it, are you, are you a pro? Okay. If, if you've been to 57 different ones, you are, you win the award, Jim, of being an aficionado. Are you a yeah. perch guy or a cod guy or a haddock guy? What do you order? I'm a cod guy. We always try to go at lunchtime, so I give everybody fair play. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Thanks for the call. Now, see, I, um, I'm a perch guy. It's, the price of perch has gone up and up. It's it's tougher to find restaurants that offer perch and that have good perch. But I'm all things being said, I'm perch. And while while I love the beer battered fish fries, I admit that if you find me a place that's got a good pan fried perch, <clears throat> love that too. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll free talk line. Let's talk to Mike in Waukesha. Mike, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Okay, where do you go first Friday in Lent for a good fish fry? Not only the first Friday in Lent, I go year-round <laughs> to the Q Club in Waukesha. It's on Grandview Boulevard. Little plug for them. Okay, that's fine. That's what we're doing. Um, yes, absolutely. Okay, what makes the fish fry so good? They offer bluegill, walleye, yeah. cod, all-you-can-eat cod, and perch. Yeah, my um my late wife loved bluegill, and that, and it's because I think I think her dad used to catch bluegills in Lake Michigan or something like. She just always if if she, if we found bluegill on the menu, that was one of the things that she would order a lot. Um, which what is your preference? What do you like best? You know, I jump all around. Um, Wednesday night I just had walleye because okay. I do it on Wednesdays and Fridays. Yeah, but I usually get the perch. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I think I like my, my best friend, Evan, love, was wall, loves walleye. That's what he will typically order, you know, if, if it's presented to him. Yeah, but I, I continue to be a perch guy, but I like cod as well. No question about it. Let's talk to, let's see, we've got Jim in Fox Lake. Jim, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Again, this topic's making me hungry now, and I've got, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do tonight for dinner. Yeah, I don't I don't eat on Fridays because we go for fish fry all over the place right. in Fox Lake, Beaver Dam area. But the best place, in my opinion, is Schomburg's on Lake Emily. Okay. What makes it so good? They've got a coleslaw that's just excellent. They've got uh, German potato salad, cold potato salad. Yeah. They've got a whole myriad of fish. My, I'm with you. My favorite is the perch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fresh. It's ham-breaded. And it's just perfect. Yeah. And, and you know, don't it's... have reservations, Jeff. <laughs> don't bother. They do. huh? <laughs> they, no. Oh. They do. You can spend a couple. You can spend an hour at the bar, but I'm going to tell you, Buck and Dave make the best old fashions, and I've had old fashions all over. They make the best old fashions in the universe, and I'm not kidding you, Jeff. Jim, you, <laughs> Jim, I could tell from your tone of voice you were not, and you are. You, I can tell you, man, you are a Renaissance guy. You know, you're talking about the ultimate Wisconsin experience. Friday night fish fries and waiting at the bar for an hour drinking old fashions. That is that is classic Wisconsin. You're old school, my friend. Oh yeah, I'm I'm 67 years old and I've been going there since I was eight years old, but I couldn't have the old fashioned until I was 21. Okay. But the old fashions are top, and the fish is excellent. And my cousin and I, we go. Where are we going tonight? O F and F, old fashions and fish. <laughs> well, that, that that works for me. Thanks. Now, I, I thought he was going to say that. I, I, he did say that he, he waited to have the old fashions until he was twenty-one. I thought he was going to say, you know, in the typical Wisconsin thing, I started drinking the old fashions at sixteen. But you know, we we did the twenty-one thing. I get that. Let's talk to Matthew, who's calling us from Janesville. Matthew, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi. Hi. Hey, the best place I think so is the uh, Benedetti's. 
Supper Club in Beloit. Oh, okay. And the reason why I like that is the coleslaw and tartar sauce. Yeah. Got to have a tartar sauce for a fish fry. Yeah, tartar sauce, to me, um, I always used to say that, 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 I mean, tartar sauce sometimes is my excuse to eat fish because I'm with you. I love good tartar sauce. And I, I don't exactly know. It's kind of like pornography. I, I can't exactly explain what makes good tartar sauce, but I know it when I taste it. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, no, it's, it, but I know they, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Matter of fact, it's, um, my, my very best friend, his wife, Evan and Susan, we go to fish fries a lot and neither one of them, I just do not get this. Neither one of them eat tartar sauce. So they'll order the fish fries and then it's just automatic. As soon as the tartar sauce comes, they both they send me their little thing of tartar sauce. So it's just, that's, it's just, that's kind of how the, the whole thing ends up working. So. Hundo, my producers, you don't eat tartar sauce either. You do not know what you're missing. You just tartars tart. That's okay, but tartar sauce it it makes it makes the experience, especially if it's good. Let's talk to uh, Steve in Oshkosh. Steve, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Best fish fry is well. Uh, although I live in Oshkosh currently, I lived in the uh, Green Bay area for about fifty eight years. Right. And uh, Merrick on University Avenue, I got a shout out that uh, they are by far my favorite. How long is the wait there when when on a really popular Friday night? During Lent? Yeah. Hour to two hours. Wow. <laughs> but but it's worth it, huh? Well, I, I typically will get there very early during Lent, like at 4.30, quarter to 5, because if you go after 5.15, 5.30, you're going to wait a long time. Yeah. It's well worth the wait, but... Uh, yeah. And they don't have a lot of uh, added things on the menu. It's onion rings. Uh, right. and fries, but I would tell you that the fish are by far my favorite. Uh, yeah, no, it works. I mean, it, no, thanks. For, I mean, it's, it, again, it's, the, the thing that is, again, so cool and so quintessentially Wisconsin is that there's so many good fish fries. And one of the things that always, I, you know, I, that's why I actually love doing segments like this because I get ideas as to different places that you might want to try that I might want to try because there's all these places that you drive by and you see that they have a Friday fish fry and you kind of go, well, I, I'm used to going to the same couple places. And, and this place, this might be really good, but unless somebody tells you it's really good, that, then you know, you're not going to necessarily stop in. And, and that's, this is just one of the things that unites us. Okay, the Green Bay Packers unite us. Maybe we're divided in our politics but there's a couple things that bring us together and make us recognize that we are all Wisconsinites and there's more that brings us together than divides us and forget politics. One is the Packers and one is, of course, our love for Friday fish fries. So wherever you're going, wherever you're going tonight for the first Friday of Lent, if you don't have reservations, be prepared to wait, but enjoy your fish fry. I think, um, actually, I think if I'm going out tonight, it's, if I'm eating a fish fry, it's going to be very late tonight. That's kind of what the plan is, but... I understand. That's okay. I'll just, I will make arrangements. I will just wait all day thinking I'm going to get this great fish fry later on. That's kind of what the plan is. It's 1052. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1055. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bucks welcome the Los Angeles Clippers to the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause have the call. They'll begin our coverage tonight with Buckshots at 640 here on WTMJ. A number of people are using our text line to say, hey, what, you know, can you repeat all the different restaurants that people were saying? Well, no, I can't, but but I can do the next best thing. On our webpage, WTMJ.com, you, you'll see a special thing on the front page. It says, Best Fish Fries for Lent, together with my name. You can click on that, and you can 
re-listen to the last segment we did. There's so many good places out there. I always hate doing these features because I, I know we're omitting a lot of them, but um, I tell you, where, wherever wherever your perfect fish fry is, go out and find it tonight. Coming up in less than 10 minutes, we are announcing the rollout of our big summer event. You do not want to miss it. Matter of fact, we're also going to be live streaming it facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ can have a number of special guests in the studio. It is very exciting. It has come to this. Now I have to confess one of my new year's resolutions was getting back to the gym. And I actually thought, I thought the new schedule would make it easier to do that. Get off at noon, you start early in the morning, get off at noon, got the dog walker who's taking care of my little dog. So it gives you some time to just go to the gym before you go home. That is still ultimately my plan, but so far that has not kicked in yet. But that's that's kind of my goal. So I don't know about you, but when I go to the gym, the first thing I do is I, I jump on the treadmill and I try to do a few miles on the treadmill to get the aerobic thing going. And then depending on how ambitious I am, I, I of course, since I haven't been back to the gym for several months, I, I haven't been ambitious at all. But, I mean, the, the goal of the workout would be you're on the treadmill, then you go and you lift weights. So when you're on the treadmill, you know, you've got, they've got all the different TVs that are there. And, you know, you can watch the TVs and you can pay attention to that. You can listen to tunes or whatever. Um, the YMCA in Scranton, Pennsylvania, has had to ban all, not not just one, but all 24-hour news channels at its workout facility. So no Fox News, no MSNBC, no CNN, no whatever. Why have they had to do that? Because fights have been breaking out. They sent out this letter to the membership saying um, no more news channels on the, on the TVs because political discussions have turned threatening. One ended in a locker room fight, one broken up by another member that was just about ready to go physical. Members are stepping forward saying they felt a little uncomfortable at the arguments that were going on about politics. They say the decision is about safety. It has now come to this point, I guess, where, you know, now look, when I'm, when I'm in the gym, the last thing I want to be thinking about is, is politics. But I guess there's other people that do that. So it's now gotten to the point that at least in Scranton, Pennsylvania, if you go to the YMCA, you better bring your own newspaper because you're not going to be able to watch Fox or MSNBC or CNN or C-SPAN or any of those things. You can, of course, I mean, watch ESPN. You can watch the Weather Channel. Just no politics in the gym. We've heard that politics and religion don't mix at family gatherings. Now, apparently, politics doesn't mix in the gym Welcome to America in 2017. Coming up in just a couple minutes, it's the rollout of our big summer production. You don't want to miss it. Stick around. It's 1059. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay. We are live streaming the show right now on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, and you can see all the distinguished people that we have in the studio. Um, this is the rollout of our big summer promotion, and i got to tell you, it's very cool. We're joined by our marketing director, Jay Pat Miller, Steve Valenti, and Bob Babich from Summerfest. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? Hello. All right. Now, Jay Pat, let's turn it over to you first, and uh, just to give a little bit of background on what we're going to be doing for years past. We've we've had the free ride, but uh, the free ride this year a little bit different. Yeah, the free ride's bigger and better than. Oh, hang, hang on, got to turn on your microphone. I'll turn on the microphone. Okay. 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 Ok
Okay, there you go. How's that? I've been in radio before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the free ride has been our big deal every summer, and it's really been taken to the next level with our partnership with Valenti Classics. We find a classic car. Steve and his team, they do an amazing job restoring it, and we give it away every summer. So this year, when we were talking about what were we going to do for 2017, there happens to be the event in Milwaukee of the entire year, the 50th Summerfest. So we called up the Summerfest team and talked about what's going on with them, and we decided that this year we're going to do a Summerfest-themed 1968 car to celebrate the big gig and everything they mean to the city. Um, Steve Valenti, let, let's, you're, you're the one that's charged with finding the car and figuring out what the giveaway is going to be and how you're going to restore it. Uh, this year, it is a really special car. It takes me back to my misbegotten boyhood, which is, <laughs> which is a great place to be. All right. Tell us a little bit about the car. Well, the car this year, we had to go with 1968 and muscle car. So that was our, our mission. We literally scoured the entire country going from coast to coast, and we happen upon what we feel is an incredible car and very fitting for this particular event. It's a 1968 Oldsmobile 442 convertible. So we get uh, we get the muscle car, we get the 442, the real deal, and we also get the convertible to kind of tie in the whole summer thing. How did you find this this car? Well, we've got a lot of contacts throughout the country just in, you know, being in business for so long. We chase every lead. We look at advertisements, and uh, we just kind of pound the pavement. We happen to, to go in. Uh, we op- we get into this one area, and it was literally sitting in an alley garage. So we, we pull up with our truck and trailer, all excited to load this thing up as long as we can vet it and make sure everything works out. It's something we can deal with, and pull that door open, and all of a sudden we look at it. Of course, first glance, yeah, it's a 442. Yeah, it's a convertible, but is it real? And uh, we you know, we did all the decoding and authenticating, and it was the, the real deal, and been sitting in that garage under the same ownership for about three decades. And we're going to be transferring that ownership to some lucky listener this summer, huh? That's for sure. Uh, Bob Babish, of course, Summerfest Vice President of Entertainment, 50th anniversary Summerfest, that, that's a big deal in and of itself. You guys are planning quite a party. Yeah, it's going to be a great party for us, but this is kind of icing on the cake. You know, we started in 68, the car is 68. I want to enter this contest, but I can't, <laughs> and I'm pretty bummed about that. But uh, it's going to be fun. You know, the Milwaukee has has a, a love of classic music, and put a classic car with that in this contest for the last day of the festival when we draw. It's going to be big fun. Now, Jay pat one of the things that I think is so exciting about the rollout is in, in the past – we, we've done the giveaways actually through July. This time, we're, we're knocking it off earlier in connection with Summerfest. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. So right now, today, we're launching the Classic Freeride Garage. So if you go to WTMJ.com, you can see what the car looks like now. That's the before picture, before Valenti and his magicians get their mitts on it. And you can also, if you're on your mobile device right now, text the word RIDE to 414-799-1620. The word is RIDE to that number. And we'll uh, send you the pictures of what it looks like right now right on your phone. But starting in early May, we'll start giving you a chance to win the car. And we'll have our live broadcast appearances, and we'll have an online register to win on our website. But what's different this year is the car will be at the big gig for all 11 days. So if you go to Summerfest, you'll have a chance to enter and win the car. And then on the last day of Summerfest at the Briggs & Stratton stage... Someone's going to win the car right on stage. Your chance to not only feel like a rock star, but drive off in a rock star's car, too. 
know, Bob, I, when, when I was listening about this rollout, I was saying, we're going to really have the car up on the stage, and, and that's my understanding. They can do that. That's exactly what we're going to do, and it's going to, it's going to be pretty cool. Our design guys are working on it right now, probably right next to the front of the stage. It'll, it'll roll up to there, so it's going to be great, and we've got great bands on that day, so it's going to be big fun. I think maybe, Bob, if, if you and I, if we know, maybe maybe you and I can at least convince Steve to let us take out for a drive or something. Well, it's going to be there for 11 days. I mean, <laughs> yeah. late at night when no one's around. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, right. Well, yeah, see, now, J-Pat, that's one of the other things, too. My understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, each day of Summerfest, people are going to have a chance to register and we'll have a different qualifier for each day of Summerfest as well as the other opportunities we traditionally have for people to uh, qualify. Yeah, it's Summerfest through and through. So we're going to make a winner every day of Summerfest plus all of our live broadcast events and our online register to win. But at all of our events that we do, we're going to have uh, general admission passes to get into Summerfest. And for some select broadcasts, we're going to have tickets to the big-time amp shows that uh, Bob and his team are booking. So you know, not only get a chance to win the car, but we're going to be giving away tickets to all of the big shows that you're bringing in. Um, Steve... Let, I mean, I have seen the tremendous job that you have done, that the Valenti Classics have done with the number, the number of cars we've given away over time. Um, what, what is involved in, in doing a restoration like this? It's, uh, well, a lot of time, which yeah. we don't have much of again. But, uh, you know, you really run through the car from the tip of the antenna to the tread on the tires and everything in between. We're going to go through this thing. All the electrical is going to be updated the mechanical components are going to be restored, the brakes, the steering, the suspension. Uh, we're going to end up going through all the paint and body work. The convertible top's going to get redone. We're going to go through do all the upholstery, all new weather stripping throughout the entire vehicle so everything seals up properly, and then all the chrome and bright work, the trim, the stainless, that sort of thing. So it'll look like a better than brand new when we're done with it. Now, I don't mean to put too much pressure on you. But my, my understanding is that the car, the, the plan is to have it done by very early May. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, May 8th is our live reveal on the morning <laughs> TV show, so it has to be done. It will be done by May 8th. Right? <laughs> it will be done by May 8th. <laughs> on May 8th, that's, that's right. the latest. <laughs> okay, well, but, but one of the other cool things that's going to happen is between now and May 8th, um, there, there, my understanding is we're going to have um, – on our dig- through digital content, people will be able to watch the progress that, that you are making on, on the vehicle? Yes. Yeah, there's going to be a time-lapse video that's going on throughout the entire build process, and then we're going to do updated photos of, of each component that we restore, basically, or, or significant components that we restore so people can follow along and see the progress, and they can judge if we're going to be on time or we're going to be a little bit late <laughs> or what's going on. We're taking bets. Right? Right. No, no, no. You, you, you guys have, have always have always done that in the past. What's the hardest thing about about one of these restores? Is it is it finding the parts? Is it – what's the hardest thing? Well, really, the hardest part, I think, is, is partially over. It's sourcing the right vehicle and really right. finding the right candidate to do a proper restoration to. Um, you know, the parts, we've got a lot of great vendors and sponsors that we work with, so parts are pretty readily available, and that's usually not an issue. Uh, it's just the logistics of everything, orchestrating the whole process, uh, making sure you're doing it in a systematic order, and then just having the appropriate amount of time to go through all the different procedures. Bob, I, I talk to your, your partner in crime, Don Smiley, a lot. We, we talk about the, a lot of times when we're discussing things, we're talking about the economics of Summerfest and stuff. I love having you in because you're, 
you're the guy that, that does the entertainment and all the booking and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about Summerfest uh, 50th anniversary, and I, I know you've got a lot of special things planned. You know, it's, it's really a special year. You've got the new Miller Light Oasis there, stage and area, which is great. You know, you've got American Family Insurance with the title sponsor now, and, of course, the amphitheater down the line, but you've got great bands coming in. You've got five or six bands on sale already from the, you know, the Chili Peppers and Pink all the way to Tom Petty and Chris Stapleton, so... That's going to be great, and there's a lot of things we're going to be letting out here as we go. A lot of contests, a lot of you know giveaways. It's going to be fun. So I can't talk you into like giving us uh, giving breaking some news this morning, huh? No, <laughs> no, I can't. Okay. Okay. Nah. You know, has the has the improvements on the grounds? I mean, you got the the new BMO Harris stage, you know, a couple years old, but still, has that made your job any easier as the grounds have improved when you're going out and trying to get bands? Oh yeah, it does because they know that they're going to walk in and they're going to get state of the art sound. State of the art uh, lights, all all the ability to put on a good production from from our side and their side, and that means a lot to the bands. They know the audience is going to be comfortable. They know there's not going to be a lot of mud out there. I mean, I've been there for forty years, and I remember the old days when a stage was just a couple of wooden platforms <laughs> on some cement blocks, and that's all we had. And then when it rained, you threw straw down. So yeah. it's come a long, long way. Well, I mean, I I I mean, I remember. I'm I'm dating myself too, but I I remember when the main stage used to be on the north side of the grounds, right. and you'd get down there early, and you'd put out a blanket, or you'd sit on some of those bleachers, and it was porta potties, and just I I I was there for the I was I was there the night George Carlin was arrested. It's kind of like people people say that they were at the ice bowl. I wasn't at the ice bowl, but I was there the night George Carlin got arrested. Yeah, I keep that picture of George Carlin on my wall right above <laughs> me. I look at it every day, so I remember what it was like. So. Okay, so Jay Pat, once again. Um, we're announcing this today for people who want to see what the vehicle looks like right now. How do they do that? Got to hit up our text line. It's brand new, 414-799-1620. Text the word RIDE, R-I-D-E, to 414-799-1620. We'll zap you the pictures of what it looks like now, not what it will look like when it's done. (laughs) And uh, a big thanks to our title partner, New Mail Medical Center. They're back again for 2017. And uh, the people that actually take care of our car, tow it from place to place, Tax Air's back again once uh, once again. So thanks to Valenti and Tax Air for working together to get it from point A to point B. Yeah, and again, um, we're, we're announcing this today. The reveal of the car is scheduled for May 8th. Steve says it's going to be done. Um, we'll, be re- <laughs> we'll be releasing a lot of details. Again, the opportunities that you, you have for your chance to register to win. But I think, I mean, this partnership with Summerfest, especially in connection with the 50th anniversary, is so cool. Um, for the first time, you'll have a chance to register to win every day, during the entire run of Summerfest, and then Bob, I just I think it's great that you're you're giving us this opportunity to give it away oh, <laughs> at Summerfest. It's gonna it's gonna be great fun too. Plus you all you also be able to go to our website to uh, to register to to win too. So it's gonna be fun. So we'll tell everybody about all the different details and opportunities to win. But we wanted to announce this. This is the uh, free ride 2017, and like I said, I think this is the coolest one ever. I cannot wait to see what the car looks like and. I could say maybe maybe this is one where Bob, you and I can maybe negotiate to take a little drive or something like that. If we have the keys at midnight. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Now that's the story. Uh, Babish and Wagner driving down driving down Lake Drive. You know, with the wind blowing through our hairs and stuff. Here, so um, check that all out. It's the Free Ride 2017. But again, we'll continue to keep you updated. Thanks to Steve Valenti and Valenti Classics. Bob Babish from Summerfest. Thank you guys both for working with us. Jay Pat, sounds like another great job. Looking forward to the summer. It's going to be great, Jeff. Can't wait. Um, it's 1120. You're listening to 620 WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner.
1122. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yes, once again, we, we have the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, which is our new rollout this week. And actually, I love it. It's where you can participate in the program, not just by calling, but also by texting. But one of the other things we can do is, for things like this, if you want to see what this 1968 vehicle looks like now, this is the before picture. You can text 414-799-1620 and just put ride in. Text ride to that number and we will send you, uh, we'll send you the picture of this. If you want to, uh, replay or listen again to what we just talked about, uh, Facebook, our facebook.com, 620 WTMJ. We have the, we live stream the broadcast with, uh, Bob Babish and Steve Valenti in the studio. And this is going to be really cool. Again, just wait for the details. The car is supposed to be finished by early May. We'll show you what the car looks like, and then we'll announce the schedule. It's going to be a more condensed schedule this year than in the past. In the past, we've gone through July with the giveaway. But this year, because we have the opportunity to do the giveaway in conjunction with the last day of Summerfest, we're partnered with Summerfest and the 50th anniversary of Summerfest, what we're going to do is give it away at the Briggs & Stratton stage on the last night of Summerfest. Very cool. And you're going to have a chance, if you're attending Summerfest, the 50th anniversary, each we're going to have the car down there, and each day you will have a chance to register to win the car. We'll have a different winner every day, so we're qualifying people at Summerfest. Just very, very cool in general, so be sure to check that out. And Summerfest, Summerfest 50, I was trying to get Babish to break some news there, um, and he just he, he just wouldn't. He wouldn't do it to me off the air either. I was, come, come on, Bob, just just tell me one or two things. You, you, you can trust me. He said, Jeff, there's going to be a lot of stuff. Trust me, you are going to enjoy it. I always love going down to Summerfest, and uh, just amazing how things have changed over the years. I, I do... I do remember. I am old enough to remember the early days of Summerfest and the way it way it used to be. And every time I'm on the grounds, I just marvel at at the improvements. And people think about, of course, Summerfest for all the great music and things like that. But it's also the infrastructure. And you look at the new stages and you look at all the permanent facilities and the permanent restrooms and stuff. And it's easy it's easy to forget, you know, how much work has gone into it. And the truth is, at Summerfest. Um, in the last 50 years, there have been a lot of festivals, music festivals that have come and gone. And I think you can make a strong argument that, you know, Summerfest is the, the ultimate success story, a festival that, that came and has grown and gets better and better and better each year. And I'm really thrilled that on the 50th anniversary, they are partnering with us. And Valenti Classics is part of the free ride giveaway. It's 1126. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Once again, if you want to see a picture of the four picture of what the car looks like, you can uh, text ride to 414-799-1620 and we will accommodate you. It's 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, again, we're getting questions. If you just, 414, you, if you just text the word RIDE, R-I-D-E, to 414-799-1620, we will, uh, we'll send you a picture of what the car looks like now. And uh, it is going to be kind of cool. You can follow the progress. And I see what the car looks like now. I've seen the pictures of what the car is supposed to look like. And... Steve Valenti and our friends at Valenti Classics, they, they've got a little bit of a challenge ahead of them, but I have no doubt that they are going to, uh, I have no doubt that they're going to come through. The only thing better than a fish fry is a fish fry at one of your favorite Wisconsin breweries. Get all the details in the latest Friday Fish Fry podcast that is available now at the WTMJ mobile app. If you're a regular listener, you know that 
Um, one of the things I've been on my soapbox about over the course of the last several months has been Milwaukee County's effort to crack down on Pokemon players. You know, uh, ever since ever since the phenomenon of, of, of Pokemon Go hit big time last summer and they made Lake Park a, a Pokemon stop and all sorts of people, heaven forbid, all sorts of people decided to actually come to the park and use the park. And apparently those people annoyed some of the rich folks that live around Lake Park who didn't like the great unwashed coming into the Lower East Side neighborhood and parking their cars on the streets and walking on their sidewalks. So um, the state, the uh, county supervisor managed to get this new ordinance passed, which requires the company that produces Pokemon Go to apply for a permit. And it's again, or potentially they can be subject to a lawsuit. Anyhow, um, I guess Milwaukee isn't the only community that's had that. Um, I've been wondering how Pokemon Go is going to respond to this. And apparently they've, they've had a similar concern up in Nina, where you had some of the, the not-in-my-backyard crowd, some of the NIMBYs that, again, didn't like people coming into a park and overwhelming their neighborhood. And so uh, the folks at Pokemon Go have apparently agreed to remove four of eight Poke stops from a park in Nina, in response to concerns from the city attorney. All right, so that shows how they're going to act. But I guess the, the bigger point to me is, aren't public parks supposed to be for, for the public, and don't we want people going there and using them? I guess if you're a neighbor, you don't want too many people using the park. And to me, that's absolutely absurd. Don't know how they're going to respond to it in Milwaukee County, but I tell you, anything that gets people out walking and using the parks, I think is a good thing. And... If my choice is a bunch of gangsters coming and taking over the park or drug dealers or people playing Pokemon Go, I'm voting with Pokemon Go. It is 1130. We've got our WTM J Weekend Review coming up next. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's that time of the week for our WTMJ Weekend Review. We are not live streaming today on Facebook since we spent the last 30 minutes live streaming our announcement of the uh, free ride for 2017. But we will be putting this up on the podcast. I am joined, as always, I am the thorn between the two roses, Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Good morning. Good morning. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Good morning. All right. Let's get started. Um Putting aside the big Oscar, did you both watch the Oscars on Sunday night? Till the end. For, yeah, start to right. finish. So, okay, so, I mean, of course, the, the big story was Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway read the wrong name on the card, and that was getting a lot of attention. To me, the interesting second-day story about that, though, um, viewership down. 32.9 million people watched. Now, that's a ton of people, but that's the lowest number of people watching the Oscars since 2008, and a pretty dramatic drop. Um, not that long ago, just a couple of years ago, the Oscars were drawing over 40 million viewership. Now it's down to 30.32.9. Why is viewership down? Susie Falk. Well, I think there are two reasons. I think the first is, to be honest, people aren't necessarily going to the movies as much these days, and there were no blockbuster hits. So, I mean, there were a lot of fabulous movies. I saw a few of them, and they were they, the ones I saw were out, really outstanding. But a lot of people just chose to stay home. You know, they they have their media viewing habits different now. They're they're live streaming Netflix and other things on on their televisions and their their smartphones. So people are not going to the theaters as much. So I don't think they knew what was out there. In fact, a statistic: six out of ten people could not name one Oscar nominee. That's huge. So 
That's the only one reason. I saw was Hidden Figures. Hidden I mean, figures. That, that, that's the only one I saw. Well, go see yeah. La La Land. It's fantastic. Sorry, yeah. I saw La La Land. Yeah. But, 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 but no, it's just that my second point is, is this, is that I think with this political climate, and we know, you know, Hollywood likes to make political speeches, and they, they use the Oscars as a platform to deliver those messages. I think people were just so politicked out, and they yeah. didn't want to hear those hmm. messages. Well, and I think that they, to that point, I think they did a good job of keeping it fairly mm-hmm. above bar with the politics. If Meryl Streep didn't win, that would have changed the dynamic if she had <laughs> yeah. won. But yeah, <laughs> for sure. But, but let's be honest here, Walking Dead was on. On a competing channel, oh, see, right? There you, go. there you go. No, but this is the highest, it's the highest rated award show, right? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, you're speaking to your point about the fact that people consume these shows differently. Mm-hmm. The Grammys had one of its highest uh, mm-hmm. audiences of, of all time, I believe. And mm-hmm. I think it's because, to your point about the accessibility and the, the nominees, there were just more, mm-hmm. more attractiveness to, to that show. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I thought it was... Uh, Easy to watch. I'm glad I watched it, but you know I did DVR it. So okay, I'm from the sure. female perspective, do you guys watch and critique the dresses? Uh, yeah. Yes <laughs> and no. Yes and no. Uh, it just yeah. that's not the most exciting part to me, just because. Yeah, I do like the red carpet scene. It's so much fun. You know, I'm one of those. I turn my TV on at about six six thirty. I watch till the bitter end, and I love the dress. I just want to laugh. I yeah. I liked. Jimmy Kimmel. He was good. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's yeah. why I watched it. The tour it. bus. Well, and it gives me ideas. So well, I'm going to yeah, go The tour bus. They, they roll the guy, figure. Gary, from Chicago out, who turns out to be a rapist <laughs> that just released from prison. You know, I, I, I do wonder how Nicole Kidman felt yeah. when the guy's like like slobbering yeah. all over her hand. This guy's been out of jail for three years, for three days. Okay, good. You, yeah. you bring up an interesting point. So those those kind of off the cuff, you know, crazy things that happen in the Oscars, even the mistake at the end. They're going to start previewing that early next year. The media talk, uh, talking it up before the next Oscars. Mm-hmm. And I bet more people will tune in to see what might happen. Well, I, I think actually, Susie, to your points, I, I think I actually, I agree. I think you're right. I mean, first of all, I do think that there is a disconnect between Hollywood and a lot of middle America. And I do think that there's a lot of people who've just been turned off by the, the Hollywood left who were sort of casual watchers and just made the decision I don't want to be preached to. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I I don't want Leonardo DiCaprio or Meryl Streep or whatever. I don't want these people preaching to me. So I think that there's a number of people who just said, I'm going to watch The Walking Dead or I'm going to watch mm-hmm. something else who, who just turned out. I also do think, and this is a larger, somebody who follows pop culture, as I know you both do. I mean, I do think this is a larger issue. I I, I could not name, I could not name all the best picture mm-hmm. things. No. I mean, and I, I think more and more people are, aren't going out to the theaters and seeing the first-run movies. Mm-hmm. You're waiting till it comes out. Right. On, you can get it on Netflix, or you can buy the DVD, or you can. it comes to HBO or whatever. I mean, yeah. I, I just think there's a lot of people who, the way we consume these things right. are changing. Well, well, the other point on that is everybody assumed that La La Land was going to win everything. Yeah. And so they were kind of like, eh, what's mm-hmm. the point? Mm-hmm. That was a crazy ending. But you wonder how many, I mean, you, did you see Moonlight? I did not. Did I did you, not. No, not I, I didn't either. No, But, but I, I will we, now. Yeah. yeah, but I guess, I mean, I just think... Uh, to your point also about there being also not being a blockbuster, I, I think that there's not only a lot of people who, who couldn't name the movies, that they de- actually just didn't see them as mm-hmm. well, so you didn't have that rooting interest. But, you know, the the show s- serves a purpose, sure. and we're talking about it. People are more inclined to go see those movies now. It increases their value. You know, the actors get paid more next time they, they book a show. Oh, good. So I, yeah, they do. So I think, you know, please go out and see those movies. They are excellent. And they're always, I believe, will be, you know, a televised version of the Academy Awards, and there may be years with fewer viewers and years with more viewers, and we need another 
another Titanic. You know that that was a hugely watched year. The, James right. Cameron's Titanic. See, Star Wars would have been nominated. See, that was a miss. That yeah. was a miss. Yeah. They should have found a way to get that in there because there would have been a ton of people watching if they would have been even nominated for anything. I don't think they were up for anything. You know, th- actually, I, I thought the the most well done part of the show was the in memoriam, the, the tribute. You know, where the I forget who the woman was was singing like "Send in the Clowns" and they were showing yeah. yes. all the different celebrities. Now, of course, the one screw up is they put one woman's picture. Oh. Uh, they they put somebody's name up who passed Ouch. away, and they put another woman's picture up there. And she's going, "I'm alive," but but otherwise, I thought that was well done. And, and let's, I mean, even though it's dropping, let's let's not poo poo it. I mean, thirty two point nine million people is still mm, a lot a of people watching. Okay. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the incredible shrinking local newspaper. And did President Trump use a veteran's, a veteran's wife as, as a prop? Stick around. It's 1141, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1145, Jeff Wagner. This is the WTMJ Week in Review. I am the thorn between the two roses. Uh, Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. All right, next topic, the incredible shrinking newspaper. The Journal Sentinel uh, dropping a number of their Sunday cartoons. I love the funnies. Um, the business Funny. section <laughs> will no longer be a standalone section as opposed, except on like Wednesdays and Sundays. Um, more consolidation, less editorial page, um, letters to the editor instead of columns and editorials. Um, Tracy Johnson... Wh- what is the future of newspapers in general and the Journal Sentinel as a print edition? Well, if you look back 10, 15, 20 years, they, you'd ask that same question. I was kind of looking at what, what do they say is the future of print. And it's, it, we've been talking about this for a very long time. I think with the, the whole change in the structure at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, what you're seeing with the shrinking paper is a shift in the business model and an evolution in uh, the way that they're collecting revenue. While readership might go down as a reflection of the, the times, people are reading less physical hard copy, they're doing a lot more online. And I think you're seeing a lot more of that online integration. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but events. And the way that they're able to integrate some of the, the So what does that mean for events. the print edition? I, I mean, I don't disagree. It means they I don't can disagree afford with... to go down and not rely so heavily on mm-hmm. subscribers. Will there be a print edition? Will there be a, an yes. edition of the paper delivered to the paper yes. five years from now? I, I do, delivered to the homes five years from I now. I do believe our community will still support that. And I think it's based a lot on demographics yeah. because you've got an older population who prefers to hold that hard copy? Right. Nobody under the age of forty. Um, I, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm just under forty, and I still get the paper. <laughs> okay. Um, most people under forty probably have never held a hard copy of the paper. They want the information. Yeah. I agree with you, Susie. Um, yeah. What yeah. do you think? I, Tracy's painting, I think, a rosier picture for the print edition than I think is in reality. What do you think? I, two more generations. There have been experts that have studied the market and said, you know, they look at demographics, they look at the number of people buying the paper, the age of the people buying the paper, right. and they realize it's going to be two more generations and it's going to be done and then that coming from a new york times you know vp of something who said you know we've got to continue the print product but we also have to understand the business model has completely evolved and tracy you you nailed it so it's those those media that can figure out how to get the news out online and also keep the line between editorial and advertising very delineated that seems to be a problem or or they won't be credible and advertisers will look elsewhere so that's going to be very important moving forward i gotta tell you a quick story so back in the day, my first job out of college, yeah. I was the reader views editor. I read all the letters that came <laughs> into the newspaper. I opened the envelopes. 
I read the letters. I decided which letters get into print. So really, you know, I was the first like you, you keeper were the of the blog, right? I see. I see. So, so that, that liberal bias that we find in the letters to the editor—that was Susie Falk, oh, huh? That's right. You know, no, in, we're, we're not talking about fifty thousand people here, no. though. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Yeah, but going down dramatically. I mean, going down huge it, over the last, even just the last couple of years. I don't think you're going to see those numbers go up, but I no. think you're going to see the way that they measure mm-hmm. success. Differently. Well, no, and again, I, I I agree with you that people want the information, but we're on a 27, 24-7 news cycle now. Mm-hmm. People want the information when they want it. It's why we do things like, we. there's so much emphasis in my industry about podcasts mm-hmm. and things like that. So if people can't listen to the show live, but they want to hear the show, you can access that. And I think that's the challenge that the old media has sure. is, you know, people, people don't want stuff, you know, at, when it's delivered to your doorstep at 630. And in fairness, the paper... There's a lot of costs that are involved with that. It's the cost mm-hmm. of newsprint and, and doing that. Um, they're wrestling with it. I mean, I, I'm a newspaper fan, too. I get mm-hmm. five delivered to my home on weekends, so I, I hope they find a way to succeed. Okay, topic number three. Uh, President Trump gives a very, very well-received address before Congress on, on Tuesday night. Um, some of the long knives, though, were out. Um, I think one of the most memorable parts of that speech is, of course, his recognition of Karen Owens. Her husband was a fallen Navy SEAL who was killed in an operation um, in Yemen about a month earlier. She gets a standing ovation of two minutes or so. It was very, very moving. Um, In the aftermath, there's a number of critics who came out and said that what Donald Trump, what President Trump did was contemptible. He used her as, as a prop. Do you find anything inappropriate with what President Trump did at his address, Susie? You may find this surprising, but no. You know, presidents back to Reagan have been using people as props in the State of the Union address. This is nothing new. Um, she's she's a grown woman, you know. She knows what she was getting into, if she, unless she's never seen a presidential yeah. address. But, you know, he, he, she she gets to sit in the front row. She knows she's going to get a call out. She gets to honor her husband. She, yeah. she gets to honor her husband. And actually, her father-in-law didn't want to meet with the president, you know, to right. because of his issues with... With the uh, the raid, and so I think she said, "You know what? Look at I'm going to. I think she was using him as much as he was using her. Quite honestly. Well, I mean, it was it was a recognition of her husband's sacrifice. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, and again, I, she she's a grown woman, and I, I mean, I, I when I talked about this in the radio, I got a couple texts from yeah. people saying, "Well, you know, she she's a grieving widow. She just lost it, her husband a, yeah. a month ago. She's not in her right mind. You know, she she was taken advantage of. And I'm thinking, but, how can you say that? I, I, I mean, think it's the people with well, the Trump derangement syndrome, well, and I don't care if they're Democrats okay. or if they're never Trumpers, they are." people that are looking to use this widow mm. as a prop to go after Donald Trump is the way that I look at it. Mm. So I think it's it's ridiculous. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was wonderful. And I thought it brought attention to a place where there isn't always the attention paid. And that's our veterans. And the fact that he died for a, a, a cause yeah. that will help our national security. Yeah. You know, I w- it was a little uncomfortable for me to watch, though, the last 30 seconds. You know, I I thought it went on just a little long. And the applause. She, yeah. she, the, the applause. And, and I'm not saying he was instigating it, but you, he, Donald Trump knows how to use a microphone. Yeah. He knows how to use the media. And did you hear that loud clapping? He was not going to stop until he wanted to stop. I think mm-hmm. he was leading the charge on, on the length of that. But it, well, was, it was. I thought it was perfect. You know, one of the criticisms was that, that the, the cameras focused on on her maybe a little bit too long but you know i I guess you know you can always second guess these things i I think it was a natural moment i think it was a moving moment you know presidents every president that i can remember when they've had 
events like that, they invite people in mm-hmm. and they, they offer them the opportunity. And, and I mean, I guess I resent the term prop. I mean, she was, he was honoring her, honoring her husband's service. Now, I, I guess, does he get some, does he get some, was it a moving moment? Did it get attention? Yeah, but that, that doesn't mean it's wrong. And unless somebody can tell me that he put a gun to her head and forced her to do that, I think, I think she gets to decide what's appropriate and what's not appropriate in honoring her husband. And he needs moments yeah. like that. And to your oh, point, he Susie, does need moments he, like that. You know, and I looked at the, the, the other side of the aisle, the Democrats, and they were all standing, I think, yeah. most of them right. for the most part. So it was a, a unifying moment, if anything. Okay. I think it would be a non-story if he hadn't really look at how he's tr- talked about the military services. You know, he ripped on John McCain and his POW status. He's ripped on Purple Heart. But at the same winners. time, he's, he's committed to generals. putting, he's committed to really beefing up the defense budget now. So, true, true. okay, re- really quick before we go to the break and then come back with the Right Stuff Awards. The Obamas have cut a joint book deal, Michelle and Barack. The advance was $65 million. Okay, here's my question just real quickly. Um, are the publishers going to lose their shirts on this or is this going to be a huge success? I think, I think they I think they will. It, it, I think it's probably a good investment. They talk about the fact that the book sales in the U.S. may not be as strong, but his international appeal is yeah. off the charts to a point that I probably can't even understand it. Well, and and Penguin, the publisher, they they've worked with the Obamas before. You know, they know how books sell, and they know that this they people love Michelle Obama. I suspect her book will do better than Barack. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you think they're going to make money even with a sixty-five yeah. million dollar advance? Yep. They'll fig- they'll figure a way out. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe multimedia. Uh, well, I I don't know. I, I think you're going to see a lot of them on the remainders table pretty soon. No. But that's just me. It's 1154. We're back with the Right Stuff Awards. Stick around. 1156, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's our WTMJ Week in Review featuring our regular panelists, Susie Falk from Falk Group PR and Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. All right, this is our chance to do some Attaboy Awards, Right Stuff Awards. Susie Falk, who's your winner this week? Oh, I have two. Jason Hurwitz, the Oscar winner from uh, the Nicolet. area. Nicolet, love yep. him. But honestly, I just read the, about this this morning, and I'm really tickled. The Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority, WIDA, is offering no-interest loans to help low-income individuals and families buy houses. I think this is great. So uh, $3,500 loans for closing costs or down payments um, for people who are low-income. And I say take advantage of it. Go get it. It's, low, it's no interest, and more people should own homes. So good for WIDA. Tracy Johnson. My Right Stuff Award goes to President George W. Bush. Uh, he opened a, an art gallery in Dallas this week um, with portraits uh, post 9-11. Uh, and I believe he has a book coming out as well. Not only that, but he had he was on an interview on NBC, I believe, and he had an opportunity to talk about uh, President Trump. And I think he handled it very well. He stuck with his uh, premise of not... Uh, ripping on his predecessors. So he gets my Right Stuff Awards. I think history is going to be very, very good to him, and he deserves it. My winner this week, my colleague, John Milan, who retired after over 30 years as meteorologist, first at another TV station, then um, a long time, 20-plus years at today's TMJ4. When I had a chance to talk to John yesterday, I, I, I asked him, why. What was, when did he decide he wanted to be a meteorologist? And he said when, when he was in a helicopter in Vietnam, and he'd watch, you know, he served in the military, did two terms and tours of duty in Vietnam, and he'd watch just the rain come down. He became fascinated by that, and that motivated him to be a meteorologist. He has been an institution. He's also been a colleague and a friend. He will be missed. John Milan wins my Rights Stuff Award. Steve Scafidi, uh, Scafidi and Bill Stat, you're coming up in a couple minutes. What's on the big show?
Wait, got to turn our got to turn our microphones. Okay. Nope, nope, nope. You're okay. The light is on. We do not know why your mic is not coming up, but there we go. There we go. How's okay. That? How's that, Jeff? We're going to dip into the Mike Pence <laughs> thing. We're going to do a quick Friday forum. Two outstanding guests: Alana Khan, Brian Murphy from the uh, retired Oak Creek Police Officer. Stick around, Scafidi and Billstad, ladies. Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you both next week. I am out of time. Have a great weekend. I'm playing laser tag at a 10-year-old birthday party on Sunday, so who knows what's going to happen this weekend. But assuming I don't break anything, I'm back 8.30 Monday morning when we do this all again. Have a great weekend. 11.59, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.